Hey, grab your Bibles. Let's get into the book of Acts together. Excited for this passage tonight, and I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this time together that God would use this to speak to you, and that's what he does when we open up his word. Uh, the God of the universe, think about that for a second. The God that created you, that created this world, actually reveals himself to us, and that's what we're going to do tonight is to hear from him. Uh, and so I'm excited to do that with you. We're in Acts chapter 9. So turn there if you need help finding it. Ask the person next to you. You guys will find it. Uh, but get the Bible in front of you before we jump in, and we'll do that together. We've been in this book, Acts. It's the story of the early church. The church being this group of people who, after Jesus died, after he rose again, said, Jesus is Lord. We're going to follow him. Our lives are going to look like his life. We're going to take on his mission. Uh, we're going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's the church, and it's the story of this unfolding. And we've been walking through this week by week, looking at what the church looks like, how the church acts, how the church thinks. And our goal has been to, to actually ask the question, how are we living as the church today? If the, for those of us here that call ourselves followers of Jesus uh, does, does it look like what we see the Bible describe it as? Because we want it to, right? We want what God says about his church to, to be what we look like as his church. And so that's what we've been doing. We're going to do that again tonight. Um, and so I am going to open up my actual notes and not preach the message I preached on Sunday. That would be helpful. Okay. Thanks for being patient with me. Here we go. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. This story is a story of Saul. Uh, you're probably familiar with Saul. He is better known by the name of Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Uh, most of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul, so he's an incredible man. This is kind of his origin story. Uh, we saw Paul, uh, Saul, uh, in earlier in this book when Stephen was stoned to death. So the first Christian martyr, the first person murdered for their faith, uh, we saw that Saul was there, that he held the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen to death. So Saul is a bad guy at this point. If you're a Christian, you don't want to be around Saul. Uh, and this is going to jump into his story. So here's what we're going to see tonight. It's that the Holy Spirit transforms even the hardest of hearts. Okay, when God works in someone's life, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how far from God they are. It doesn't matter how bad they are, how many bad things they've done. It doesn't matter how, how far in a different direction they've gone, that the Holy Spirit can transform even the hardest of hearts. That's true for you, if that's where you're at tonight. If your heart is hard, if you have not been walking with Jesus, if you've been opposed to God, you've been going your own way, if that's true of you, it's true that God can change even your heart. If that's your friends, if that's the people that you know at school, there's people in your life and you just look at that person and you go, I don't think God would ever reach them. I don't think that they are ever going to come to church. I don't think they're ever going to follow Jesus. You need to hear the message tonight that God can transform even the hardest of hearts. That we're going to see in the story of Saul. And we're going to look at four things in this story. We're just going to go through them one by one. It's a simple message. We're going to ask the question what it means for us tonight. We'll pray and we'll be done. So here's number one. Here's what we see in the first part of the story. There is no one more opposed to Jesus than Saul. All right. No one that is more opposed to Jesus than Saul. Let's read about it. Verse 1, chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, so Saul 
is going to the high priest, the person who's in charge of, uh, of all the Jewish religious authorities, and he's taking a letter from them, right? A letter from the high priest to the synagogues in Damascus to say, hey, I have the authority from the high priest if I find anybody here who loves Jesus. If there's anybody here who calls themselves a, a part of the way, and that's this name for the church, right? The way of Jesus, people who walk like Jesus walks. That's what the church was called. And, and Saul says, if I find anybody from the way here, any Jesus followers, I have authority from the high priest to take them and drag them back to Jerusalem and and put them on trial, right? Because this is blasphemy. He's going to take them back. They're going to face trial, potentially be stoned. Uh, But this is what Saul is all about. And I would just say, you don't know anybody who is that opposed to Christianity. You might think, you might know some people at school who, who you think aren't on board with what it means to be a Christian. You might know some people who, who you think if they knew that you were here tonight or they knew that you read your Bible or that you were part of a church, they might laugh at you. You might know some people that if you invited them to come to the Christmas party in a couple of weeks and you said, hey, my church is doing this thing, I'd love for you to be there, they would just, I mean, they wouldn't even consider it. They would never be caught dead in a church. You might know some people like that. I'm telling you, they're not like Saul. You do not know one person that is murdering Christians. You don't know anybody who is so opposed that, that their whole life is dedicated to tearing down Christians, right? Saul is as far from Jesus as anybody can possibly be. But I want you to think about who you know in your life that fits this category in any sense. I want to think about the people that God's put in your life who are just flat out opposed to Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. They don't want you to talk about your faith. I want you to think about who that might be. Uh, when I was in college, I lived in the dorms my first two years. It was amazing. I had so much fun. Uh, and I, I developed this group of friends, this group of seven guys. Uh, and, well, it started with six of us, six guys that were friends in the dorms. And uh, they were a little rowdier than me. Uh, I, was, I was coming back to church every week, and I was leading the youth group. And these guys were uh, decent dudes, but, you know, a lot of them, while I was at youth group, were drinking and doing some other stuff, and, you know, and, but good guys, and I loved them, and we were friends, and, uh, and, and when it came to, uh, to move out sophomore year and get a house, six of us were getting together, and, uh, and we said, let's get a house, and, and we were trying to look for places, and it was more expensive than we thought it was going to be, so we found a house, but it cost more money. We thought we needed a seventh. And, and these guys that I was friends with, these five other guys, they, they said, let's get Mark. And I was like, not Mark. Like, like, I had rowdy friends. Mark was their rowdy friend. Like, like they thought that Mark was a little bit on the edge. You know, like, he was maybe a little bit too crazy, uh, too into partying. Like, not, not really the kind of guy that you necessarily wanted to live with. And so they were talking about Mark, and I was just like, not him. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want that kind of influence in our house. I don't want the guy who's going to be bringing that, his friends over and always wanting to party and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm kind of like, I don't know. But I'm... I'm a little bit on the outside, right? I kind of feel like I'm the, the goody two-shoes of the group. And so I, I keep my mouth shut, and Mark is the guy. And we all leave for summer break. We don't see each other for three months. And then uh, we come back. And I actually don't even come back in the fall because I'm doing study abroad for three months. And so I come back six months later. So in December, I'm done with my study abroad program, and I'm moving back into this house. And Mark has been there with the other guys. Um, but I just did not want anything to do with that. Mark was somebody in my life that I just thought, there's no hope. 
He's not, he's just not going to turn. I mean, he's not going to want to be a part of, of Jesus' thing. I, I could share my faith with him. I could invite him to church. But like, he is clearly going down a path that's not that. And there's just, I don't see any hope for him. That's, that was Mark for me. Who is it for you? Who's the person in your life that you just think, it's a lost cause? Let's keep reading. Verse number three. Here's what we're going to see, sorry, before we jump in. Number two, this is the second part of the story. It says, Jesus completely turns Saul's life upside down. Jesus completely turns Saul's life upside down. This is what happens on the road to Damascus, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Saul's headed to Damascus to arrest Christians, right? He's a Jew. He thinks that Jesus was a false teacher, right? He thinks that Jesus was leading Jews astray. That's why he's so passionate about getting Christians rounded up. So he's on the way when he encounters the living Jesus, right? He has this incredible vision, knocks him to the ground. Jesus speaks to him, says, why are you persecuting me? He becomes blinded. And just in this moment when he encounters Jesus, every part of his life is turned upside down, right? His, his beliefs are completely transformed. He thought, he thought Jesus was a heretic. He thought Jesus was a false teacher. Most shockingly, he thought Jesus was dead. Right? Imagine encountering Jesus. He, he thinks that Jesus is just somebody who met an untimely death in his ancient history, and Jesus shows up and rocks his world. Right? Jesus, uh, Saul's values are turned entirely upside down. Right? He's a Pharisee. He, he is the religious elite. He has worked his whole life to be looked up to for somebody who is kept to the law, who is like the, a super Jew. I mean, he's done everything right. I mean, he, he has this prestige. He, people look up to him. That, that value is going to go away completely. He's going to humble himself. He's going to call himself the least among Christians. He's going to walk around as a Christian the rest of his life knowing that he had participated in murdering other Christians. Think about that. He goes from the top to the bottom in a second. Saul's actions are transformed, right? All the life that he had is gone. This mission he's on to persecute Christians, ancient history, from this moment on, totally transformed. He's going to go on to write 13 books of the New Testament, plant over 14 churches. He, he is the person who has influenced our theology in this room more than anybody else in the world. What you think about God is influenced by, by Saul in, human, in a human terms, in, in a human sense. What you think about God has been changed more by Saul than anybody else in the entire world. Changed in an instant. Okay? I got back from that city abroad trip, moved into that house, and uh, just trying to figure things out. You know, I, they had all been there for three months. They all had their shelf in the closet. We had, they all had their fridge space marked out. I was trying to kind of figure things out. I was roommates with one of my buddies up in the top floor, and 
um, and just kind of getting used to what this life looked like living with six other guys. It was smelly. Uh, it was dirty, but it was a blast. So, uh, but I just noticed that Mark seemed a little bit different. You know, uh, every weekend, people would be hanging out, having friends over, having a good time. People would be opening a couple beers, whatever. And I, I noticed that Mark didn't, that he just, he was, he was different. He, he was very kind. Uh, he never told any crass jokes or anything like that, which he was just known for. I mean, you just knew that Mark was going to have some joke to tell, uh, but he just wasn't doing that. I almost made me wonder if he was, you know, if he was okay. Uh, and I remember one of the first couple of weeks, um, we, were, we were hanging out one night and out on the front porch, and Mark was out there, and I just said, Mark, you seem kind of different, man. What, what's going on? And he said, oh, well, this summer I, I gave my life to Christ. And I was just blown away. That summer he had gone home, went back to where he was from, people in his church and invited him to church, shared the gospel with him. And, and he had a moment not unlike what Saul just went through, maybe not quite as dramatic. But he gave his life to the Lord, and from that moment on, everything was different. Right? Jesus has the power to transform lives, to transform hearts. Mark was a completely different person from that moment on. We became closer friends almost than anybody else in that house. Mark became my roommate the next year. Okay, the person that I didn't want anything to do with, I was asking if he would actually be in the room with me. I've got a picture of Mark. I'll put it on the screen. You guys have heard the story of you can't Casey a couple years ago, but this is Mark and me at my wedding because he was one of my groomsmen. Okay, Mark's life was completely different, completely changed by Jesus, and, and I'm kind of ashamed of it, but I'm not the one who shared the gospel with him. I'm the one who thought there was no hope for him. I'm the one who thought it's a waste of time. But I was wrong. And as I've asked you to think about the person that you thought of that is just so far, doesn't want anything to do with God, I want you to hear the message tonight that God can do anything. God can change anybody's heart. There's nobody that's too far. Let's look what happens with, with Saul. Third thing we see here. Jesus saves, saves Saul for a purpose. And I've changed it to Paul at this point, but he saves him for a purpose. He's got a reason for what he's doing. Let's look at what that is. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. This is good Ananias, if you were with us for the Ananias of Iowa. Not him. He's dead. Uh, this is good Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas. Good Judas, right? <laughs> good Ananias and good Judas in this story. Uh, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is like, God, are you kidding me? This is stupid. I'm not doing that, right? Do you know who Saul is? He's going to arrest me. He's going to kill me. He's going to, like, no, I, you've missed it. Not him. Couldn't be him. He's not savable, right? You must mean somebody else. 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
He says, I got a plan for Saul. He's the one that I've chosen to, to share Jesus with the Gentiles. What does that mean? It's the, the non-Jewish people, right? The, the Romans, the people living in the Roman Empire who are not walking with God in any sense. God says, I've chosen him to preach this message. I have saved him. Go to him. And we see that, that Jesus knows what he's doing. Like he, he does not save us just to, just to leave us where we're at. He, he saves us for a purpose. He saves Saul for a reason. He has a plan. And, and, and we saw everything that God did through him, right? Writing the New Testament, planting churches, sharing the gospel with countless people. And, and did you notice that thing at the end there? God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul's persecuted more than almost anybody. Shipwrecked twice, arrested, beaten, put in prison. It's not easy. It's a tough road. But God uses it. He's got a purpose for it. Nobody's also more effective than Saul in the New Testament. There's nobody that is used by the Holy Spirit to save more people than Saul. After uh, Mark got saved, we were... We were living in that same room our senior year. And, I mean, just a totally different person. Incredible. And, you know, we're getting really close. And uh, we're talking a lot about our faith and reading the Bible together. And, uh, and one day we're up there, he says, you know, I think I, think I, I might want to go into ministry. Uh, he, was, he really loved teaching. He'd been doing some internships at a, at a business where he had kind of a path to, to really some, a great job, a career where he could make a lot of money, but his heart was, was drawn to ministry. And he, he got into a program where he was going to go learn uh, apologetics from a guy named Ravi Zacharias. If you know that name, he's this great dude who's a teacher and really into apologetics, incredible. And he went to uh, Europe to, to be in that program. He got a certificate. He came back. And, uh, and he had this job waiting for him in this business, and he worked for that for a little bit, but he just said, this isn't what God wants me to do. He, he is now working on his doctorate so that he can teach at a seminary and train pastors. Jesus has a plan for us. He, if he saved you, if he's done something in your life, if, if he has called you into his family, he's got a reason. He's got something for you to do. For Saul, it was this incredible plan to plant churches, to write the New Testament, do all this kind of stuff. For Mark, it, it is to teach to seminary, to train pastors, to equip the church. For you, it's something. I, I don't know what it is, but it's at the, it's at the very least to, to represent Jesus to the people that he's put in your life. It's at the very least to be at school around people who don't know him and, and to be his representative, to be his witness to talk about Jesus, to live like Jesus, to invite people to church with you, to have a conversation, to do a Bible study with somebody. He's got a reason that he has called you into his family. He's got work for you to do. Are you going to do it? Let's look at number four. This is the fourth thing we see. It's that Saul obeys. He obeys Jesus. He does it. All right, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul gets to work, you guys. When he gets saved, when he realizes who Jesus is, when Jesus gives him a mission, right? He, he gets after it. He obeys. And, and the question for you, if, if that's you, if you're somebody who says, I have encountered Jesus, I have given my life to Jesus, I have been saved, I have been given a purpose, it's, it's on you. Are you obeying? Are you going to do what God has called you to do? I think for a lot of us, as we're hung up, you've been at church, you've done the Sunday morning thing, you, you've been here on Wednesday nights, you've heard us talk a hundred times about reaching out to your friends, but you've never done it, and you've got different reasons, you're scared about how the conversation might go, you feel like it might be awkward, you feel like you, you don't have anybody that, that would want to be here with you, but we know what Jesus wants us to do. We've been bringing this verse up every week. Let's put it up on the screen. Acts 1.8. This is Jesus' command to his church. This is his promise. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For those of us who follow Jesus, who call ourselves the church, this is what it's supposed to look like. The church is not supposed to be a group of people who just hang out and have fun together. We do that. I love doing that. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a great time. When you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you're just going gonna to have friends that you only hang out with in church. No. He says, you're going to be my witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. And that's what he wants from you. And the question is, are you going to do it? It's not just about inviting him to church, but it can start there. We got things coming up. We got the Christmas party in a couple of weeks. We got New Year's Eve Eve. And maybe the first step of obedience for you is just to go to somebody at church who doesn't, who doesn't go to church, who doesn't know Jesus, and say, hey, I'd love for you to come to me to this. I'd love for you to meet some of my friends and have a great time. To pray about that, to pray that the Holy Spirit would give you an opportunity to share Jesus. Maybe for you, the, the obedience is actually asking somebody if they want to do a Bible study. Maybe you have a friend in your life who you have a relationship with and you know that they respect you. You know that they look up to you, but you've never asked them about their faith. And, and maybe the, 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 the step of obedience for you is to go to them and say, hey, I'd love to read the Gospel of John with you. Would you do that with me? Maybe the step of obedience is simply you just need to start praying for your friends because we've been talking about that, but you haven't done it. And you need to start praying every day that God would give you the opportunity to be Jesus to them, to share the gospel with them. How are you going to follow and obey? Because the Holy Spirit can transform anybody's heart. There is nobody who's too far. There is nobody who's unreachable. And we need to have the faith that God does what he says he's going to do, that the Holy Spirit actually will empower you, that, that when you step in faith, that when you obey, when you represent Jesus, that God's not going to leave you hanging that he's not going to just sit back and watch you fail. That he is actually going to equip you. He's going to give you words to speak. He's going to work in the situations that you're in. He's going to work in the relationships that you have. That he's going to use his church. He's going to use his word to do the ministry that he's called you to do. He's, he is going to meet you there. Are you going to walk with him? Are you going to obey him? I hope that we will as a church. I would love to see ASM be a place where countless people come to know Jesus. Just like Saul did. 
just like Mark did, just like you did if you're a Christian? How's it going to happen through the, the ministry that God does through you? Will we see that happen here? Let's be faithful and see what God does. I'm going to the band up. Uh, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. And as we respond in worship tonight, I'd just love for you to think about where you're at in this story. You know, are, are you still Saul before he encounters Jesus? Are you still somebody who is far from God? Are you still somebody who is not walking with Jesus? Or have you had that experience, but are you just not responding in obedience? Uh, or, or if you are, I'd love for you to just worship and thank God for what he's done in your life. Pray for your friends. Uh, let's, let's respond in song together, and then I'll be back up here, and we'll, uh, we'll close in small groups tonight. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we're grateful that you have invited us to know Jesus, to be your children, to be in your family, to receive your kingdom. And we're grateful for that. Uh, we know that that you meet us, that we didn't find you, we didn't earn anything, we didn't deserve anything, God, uh, but that through Jesus, you reveal yourself to us and offer us grace, and humbly we receive that. So I pray for all of us in this room tonight, wherever we're at, would you draw us to yourself? Would you equip us for ministry? Would you use us as we obey you? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.